0: Hi, this is Hansen from Keeper's Awakening, a ministry that's dedicated to the awakening of saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is where Kingdom 101 comes in. We want to have strong kingdom foundations so that we can move correctly on our kingdom assignments. I'm so glad to have you with me. Why don't you join me and let's have a quick word of prayer before we dive into today's teaching. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you will be with me. Lord Jesus, be proclaimed, declared, and revealed. Holy Spirit, teach us, Lord, so that we can hear what you're saying to the churches. We ask all this in Jesus' name. The Gospel of Matthew is a kingdom manual and is structured around five discourses. Now, these are kingdom discourses because they teach us about kingdom ways, kingdom assignments, kingdom parables, or how the kingdom operates, kingdom community, as well as kingdom readiness. Matthew chapter 18, and that's the chapter that we are in right now, is about the kingdom community. Well, specifically about relationships in this kingdom community. In verses 1 to 5, we went through the point of humility in a place of repentance as well as regeneration. And we need this to enter the kingdom, to excel in the kingdom, as well as to embrace others in the kingdom. But it doesn't stop there. Verses 6 to 9 is about righteousness and restraint. And the whole idea is that we're not to stumble one another because the Lord is serious about righteousness in His kingdom community. Verses 10 to 14, which is our passage for today, is about rescue and recovery. Now, if the previous passage is about not stumbling one another, this is a reminder that we do not exclude one another because everyone has a place. Everyone is important, which we'll get to that, and that's where we will unpack the parable of the lost sheep. So let's jump right in. Let's read the passage that we can then learn together after this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, this is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, we are not starting really a new topic. This is a continuation from the previous sessions. But the point is this, it's still about humility. Remember a line that I shared previously, pride looks down on others. Humility looks out for others. And today's teacher will extend for this one statement. Very simply, the big idea that I have for you, don't look down on anyone. Look out for everyone who's missing. Let's look at the first part of this big idea. Don't look down on anyone. Now we just read a passage and in verse 10, we have an answer from the Lord. But let's ask ourselves, what was the question that started it all? If you go back to verse 1, the disciples were the ones who came to Jesus asking this one big question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus was answering this question for them, teaching them, and coming to this point, he says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Can you see the contrast? The disciples were asking, who's the greatest? And the Lord coming to this point is saying, now I want you to be careful. You take heed, see to it, pay attention, ensure, make sure you know what you're doing and don't miss this point. Don't think that you're only looking at the great ones. Don't despise on anyone. Don't look down on anyone. One of these little ones. Now, who are these little ones? They are believers. They are disciples. They are people of the kingdom community as we listen to this, I know in our hearts we're saying, oh, no, 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 we we don't want to look down on anyone. But let's reflect a little bit. You know, with all that takes place in the church, in life, in your work, it's so easy to get so caught up, right? So involved, so busy. No time, no time. I've got to keep moving, keep going. I've got to keep serving. Now, do we even know or realize if someone is missing? I mean, like, um, uh, Who's missing? Do we even bother? Well, it's easy to miss some of these people, is it not? Maybe we consider that some of these are not really worth our time or our attention. Because the likelihood is this we have a great tendency to esteem or to honor the the greater ones. Now, who are these? These might be ones who are more prominent, more talented, uh, more involved, more useful, more engaged, more present. I mean, they are there, so we see them. Might these be the greater ones? And if we consider these to be the more important ones, then it's so easy to miss the lesser ones those who might not be as useful, who are not as involved. I mean, who asked them not to be here, right? I mean, oh, you mean they are missing? (laughs) They just fall off the radar. Can you see this? The disciples were asking, do we just look for these big ones, the greater ones? I mean, we want to be amongst this. And Jesus looks at them and says, I don't want you to despise anyone, even the lesser ones, because everyone deserves that attention that we must give to them. Well, specifically in the context of Matthew chapter 18, we just spoke of some people who might stumble, others, and others who may be stumbled. Do you think Jesus might be looking out for these who have been stumbled, wounded, hurt, offended, and somehow Moved away from the community, and the chance of them being lost from the greater group or the larger group uh, is a very real one. Perhaps these may be more impressionable, more easily influenced, and that's why they are more. They're affected, they're less mature, perhaps, uh, more vulnerable, but by themselves, they could have taken a decision, and they might have been disobedient, they are prone to wonder and they got lost. Who's missing? Do we even bother? Do we even care? Do we even notice? You see, it's so easy to disregard these. And that is why Jesus' instruction is so clear. Take heed, pay attention, ensure, do not despise any one of these little ones. Don't look down on any one, not even one. And here's why. He goes on in Matthew 18 verse 10, "For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven." Suddenly there is this reference to angels. Now, why did Jesus even mention this? Well, here's the reason. I think he's telling the disciples, in case you think these are lesser in any way and not as great according to your definition, please remember, okay, these also have angels watching over them. The same angels that would be looking out for you, they are also looking out for these whom you consider not as great. And not only angels, these are angels who see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this phrase, see the face, refers to someone who has access to a king or to a ruler. It implies these angels are not your little minion angels, you know. They are high-ranking ones. Yeah, they get to go into the presence of God. Let's take a slight detour to talk about angels. Because there are many mentions about angels in the scriptures and Jesus makes a special reference to these beings. Let's look at the ministry of angels. Some have looked at this one line and said, look, we have guardian angels. Jesus said that these are their angels. Well, in the scriptures, we see that angels were sent to help specific people like Daniel. Um, They were sent as messengers to speak to Joseph and others, and many appearances also and references to them in the Psalms and throughout the Old as well as the New Testament. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, the people, while waiting and praying for Peter who was imprisoned, and there was this knock on the door, And they were like so surprised and they said, oh, it is his angel. So perhaps um, there is this idea that we now have guardian angels, that's one angel um, assigned to each individual. Well, that's a nice thought, but really if you look at the commentaries and the different studies and from scholars, this is not really conclusive. But it's nice to have the idea that angels are looking after us, but maybe not specifically assigned to each person. How about angels being assigned to nations, and we see that in Daniel chapter ten, where there's a description of of angels being sent to fight against the prince of Persia as well as the prince of Greece. And I believe that angels can be assigned uh, for the specific purpose of watching over nations and looking after a certain territory. But again, are they specific? Um, well, we can infer, we can say yes. But again, um, it's better to just look at them being sent to various nations to accomplish the purposes of God. In the book of Revelation, we see that the angels were sent to the churches to deliver the letters, the seven letters, to the seven churches. Now, are these assigned specifically again? Well, we're not really very, very sure. All we know is that they were given for that specific task. And so far, understanding, just for this um, discourse, you know, uh, we look at the general ministry of angels because in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, we are told that, "...are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation?" I mean, that's us. We are the saints, the believers, the disciples. We who are to inherit salvation, the angels are sent forth to serve that purpose and to help us along. Now, take note that this is not for us to command, you know, the angels are not at our beck and call. They are for the Lord to dispatch and for the Lord to send out and for the angels to accomplish the purposes of God as well as his kingdom. And since we're on the point of angels, we have to heed this warning. We are not to worship angels. Now, today, there's a very popular move, and people are attracted by these beings, as it were, uh, illuminated, uh, very beautiful creatures, and they're drawn to them. Now, this is not new. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul warns the church in Colossae specifically not to entertain the worship of angels. In Corinthians, the second book, chapter 11, verses 14 to 15, he warns, Satan, together with his ministers, they are able to transform themselves into angels of light. And so they can deceive you and they can take you down the wrong path. Now, I've had a personal experience of not worshipping angels, but encountering someone who was so mesmerized with the angelic manifestations. And today, we're looking out for angels here and there. I believe in the ministry of angels. But we are not to worship these angels. We worship only God, only Jesus, only the Holy Spirit. And so let's come back to our passage here and we will see that Jesus' main point is simply this. The same angelic attention is accorded to all believers. He wasn't elevating the service of angels, but he was emphasizing the status of, of believers. Of course, the angels in serving us, in ministering to us, I mean, that's a big deal. But he's using a big deal to point to an even bigger deal. We are children of God. We are believers. We are disciples of the Most High of the King. We have that same angelic attention accorded to all of us. And that's why, remember, don't despise anyone. For that reason, don't put down anyone. Don't look down on anyone. For this same reason that everyone is important, everyone is precious, the Son of Man, Jesus' messianic title, the King Himself, He was sent so that He can come and He can save that which was lost. And this we find in the next verse, in verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Interestingly, this verse is not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew, and most likely it is a scribal edition inspired by or just to be consistent with Luke chapter 19 verse 10, where a very similar passage or a similar line is found in the account of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus. Luke chapter 19 verses 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But this verse is okay to be here because it is very consistent with the lesson that we are looking at, and it fits right well even into the whole context. In fact, it serves as a very, very good transition verse where we've been looking at, let's not look down on anyone, but we should be looking out for everyone. See, every person, every disciple and believer is so important to our Father that he sends the Son to look for them. The Father sends the Son. And if it's important to our Father and it's important to King Jesus, our Master and our Lord, then it should be important to us. Well, the same flow and pattern we can see, right? The Father sends the Son, and the Son sends the disciples. Because if it matters to the Father and it matters to the King, it must also matter to His kingdom people. Jesus' reason for coming must also be the reason for our going. And this was the lesson that Jesus was wanting to share with His disciples. Don't look down on anyone. But look out for everyone who's missing. And to get the attention of his disciples, Jesus then asks them a question. What do you think? Now, this is a rhetorical question because the expected answer is yes, of course. Whatever you have just said, Lord, I agree with you. It's right. But the Lord was also asking this question to the parable that he was about to share with them. A parable is a simple, relatable story that illustrates and clarifies a point. Um, Usually the characters, the items in the parable would be very familiar and easily understood by the listeners of the parable. Well, two things are important when it comes to interpreting parables. Number one, to whom was the parable addressed? And number two, what was the issue or the question that brought on the telling of the parable? Here we see that Jesus was talking to the disciples. So let's remember when we look at this parable, again, it's in the context of the kingdom community. What was the question that was asked? a question of greatness, right? That some are more important than others, some are more deserving than others. And the Lord used a very low-level occupation, shepherds, sheep, very common items to illustrate the point that it's not about greatness, it's about everyone in the kingdom community. So in the Gospel of Matthew, this parable addresses three things. Firstly, the importance of one sheep. Second, the initiative that the shepherd takes. And number three, the intent of the shepherd. What's really in his heart? Let's look at the importance of one sheep. In the parable, the Lord uses it to exaggerate the one versus the 99. We've already addressed this point that every person is important. And the parable brings this out with even greater emphasis. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we value and esteem one another in the same way? The second point is about the initiative of the shepherd. Now this shepherd will have to leave the entire flock, the rest, the 99 for this one. Now it's not going to be easy, right? You've got to make the necessary preparations. Um, You have to place the flock in the care of another shepherd or an under-shepherd. In fact, the shepherd himself will be inconvenienced, it's going to take effort and it's going to require time and it's not going to be easy for him. And the point is simply this, if you want to take the initiative, you've got to break the inertia. Is it not true? It is more encouraging and more affirming for the shepherd to just remain in the comfort zone. Uh, It's easier to look after obedient sheep, you know, you tell them, they will do the instruction you give, they will follow. It is easier to do that than to go look out for this lost sheep. You don't even know where to start and how to look for this person. It is definitely easier also to just remain busy with the activities and the programs and just ignore the assignment of looking for a lost sheep you want to take initiative, you've got to break the inertia. You've got to put an effort even just to move out of that zone. It's nice to be accepted when you're with all those nice, obedient people. It's nice to be needed by them. I mean, who wants the possibility of looking for this sheep and being rejected and trying to bring this guy back and he just rejects you and turns away? Can you see the problem here? It requires humility, and you've got to break the inertia if you want to take the initiative. Now, are we prepared to do the same? The third thing we see is the intent of the shepherd. What's the desire of the heart of the shepherd? He intends to find the sheep, to save the sheep so that he can rejoice over this sheep. Because he knows the potential danger that is out there. The sheep can fall off the cliff, meet with a dangerous predator, get eaten up, the weather might be terrible. There's every possibility of death and of destruction. And that is not the desire of the shepherd. That is not his desire that even one will be lost or even destroyed. However, this is not guaranteed. Because the verse says, if he should find it, there's this one word called if, and that word denotes a degree of uncertainty. In other words, there's every possibility that the shepherd may not find the sheep. It could be a negative outcome. It might be a futile attempt. Now, we read this verse and we wonder, but what about that phrase? It is not the will of your father. Surely, you know, if God wills it, then the shepherd will definitely find it that not one person would be lost. Well, that's my desire. I know that is yours also. And we say, does it not guarantee that no one will ever perish? And this is where we need to see that this word will does not refer to God's predetermined outcome, but it is His expressed desire, that which brings Him pleasure. Again, you see, the intent of God is that no one should perish. His desire is that no one would perish. We see that same will and desire expressed in 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, as well as 2nd Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. He does not desire that any one, least of all, any one of his little ones should ever perish. And the word perish is a very strong word. It is a compound word that does not only mean destruction, but utter destruction. Not just partially destroyed, but wholly, entirely, devastatingly destroyed. The father does not desire anyone to have to perish. The shepherd does not desire that any sheep would be lost or destroyed but there is no guarantee that that might not happen. On this note, we must be reminded again that Jesus was addressing the kingdom community. He was referring to believers, disciples, not pre-believers. And if a sheep is not found and does not return, its loss is destroyed. But if it is found, no wonder... There is great rejoicing over this one. Now that we have gone through the text, we are ready to look at some implications and applications for us as the Kingdom community. The first point is simple. I'm just going to repeat it because I think we need to hear it again. Don't look down on anyone. Look out for everyone. It's not about who's greater or who's lesser. Every one of these little ones, every believer, every disciple, every person in the kingdom community is important. And in case you're still not convinced, the same angelic attention is accorded to all of us. We have the same status with Abba Father, with our King, Jesus Christ. And so we have to learn to ask this question, who's missing? number off. Let's look out for those who might not be with us, who might have veered off a little bit, who may have been offended or hurt by someone in the community. Let's leave no man, no sheep behind. Everyone is precious and everyone is important. Let's heed the words of Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 4 as we seek to exclude none but to esteem all. Leaders, take the lead. Set the example. This passage is addressed to all of us as disciples. True, we are all to look out for others, to look out for everyone. But leaders have a greater accountability. Every level of leadership, we need to pay attention to this. It is the primary and the greater responsibility of shepherds. Our hearts must be modeled after Jesus, our great shepherd. And we want to be supported by a community that understands and releases us, leaders, releases other people also, other disciples, to do what needs to be done. Remember, if you want to take the initiative, you must be prepared to break the inertia. And at times, we as leaders fight against this because we prefer to stay with the flock. But yet on the flip side, it is the community, the people who refuse or are unwilling to let the people or let the leaders go to look for the ones who are lost. And that is why we must be careful of Club 99. Let's think about this. Which are we more concerned about, losing the 99, or are we more concerned about the one who is lost? You know, in every group, it is so possible for us to become inward, to be selfish over time. We form Club 99. The tendency is always to become so comfortable with one another, then we become clubbish. We become clickish. We form Club 99. Don't get me wrong. Every sheep is important, even the 99. Everyone in the 99, you are also important. But the ones who remain, the 99, these should be matured enough to look after one another. These should be trained to assist in the looking out for others also, and to take care of each other. These should be, in the words of Archippus Awakening, awakened, aligned, assigned. The 99 must never be needy, always craving to be entertained, to be occupied, to be consumeristic all the time. Beware of Club 99. The next implication will show us why this teaching is so important and why we need to learn this well and also apply and practice it well also in the kingdom community. See, those who have been hurt by the church will need to be healed by the church. Yes, I know that ultimately it is God who heals, but trust must be regained again in the community by those who have been hurt by the community. And I believe it is God's idea and His solution that He wants to use the church to heal those who have been hurt by the church. Now, it is not necessarily the same ones who cause the hurt or the offense that God will use. He could and He might, but at the same time, God can and will raise and use others to be his instruments and his channels of healing. And through this, the entire kingdom community will learn at a different pace. We will grow in a different way and we will mature so much more beautifully. You see, those who have been hurt by the church, I believe God wants to also use the church to heal them so that the entire kingdom community can come together once more and to be restored and to reveal his glory and his love. The next implication rejoice with the returning. You know, beyond attractional church services and nice initiatives like cafe, coffee, waffles, ice cream, movie games, all these are nice. But I think the kingdom community can learn to be a more welcoming community, especially for the ones who are returning. This will help with the re-entry and also prevent a re-stumbling. Sadly, too many have returned only to be rejected and hurt again and again. And I've ministered to so many where they have spoken with me, and I'm trying to bring them back to a kingdom community or to a fellowship once more. And they say, Been there, done that, I'm tired of this. You know, it's always the same. We, the kingdom community, must learn to rejoice with those who are coming back to join us. We mustn't be like the big brother of the prodigal son who felt that he was the greater, right? He was the more obedient and hence the more deserving of the party. What are we doing with these, you know, who have been backslidden for so long, this lost sheep, you know, and don't even know anything and don't know what to do. You see, again, it's the issue of humility against pride once more. Would we esteem all? Would we exclude none? Would we learn how to rejoice with those who are returning? The Father rejoices. I know the King rejoices. And we need to rejoice with these so that we can help them again to be all that the Lord has created them to be. And a final implication the truth is, not everyone wants to be helped. Remember that word, if. See, the kingdom community has a responsibility, right? We need to live righteously and not cause anyone else to sin. Well, our responsibility also includes going out to look for those who have left the community because of sin or because of stumbling. Now, that's our part. But at the same time, Those who have left the community, these individuals, they also have a part to play. They need to learn how to forgive. They need to want to be healed. They need to want to be restored to come back again into the fold, into the kingdom community. And how would they do that? This will be addressed in the next section in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. But the sad truth as we look at this teaching is that sadly, many remain bitter and hurt. As much as we can extend an arm to them, that we show love and we want to welcome them back. They remain upset and they refuse to return. And it's as if they are shaking their fists at God to take it out on Him to say, I'm, I'm spiting you, you know, look at your people, I don't want to worship you anymore. We have a responsibility, but not everyone wants to be helped. We must do our part, and we must do it as best as we can, but not everyone wants to be helped. And this is a great implication. God does not desire any to perish. He makes every way possible. He reminds us. He teaches us. He sends us out. But these who are out of the community they also have personal decisions to make too, and not everyone wants to be helped. Let's bring this to a close. Matthew 18 is about the kingdom community. And in this community, there are those who have been stumbled, hurt, wounded, or offended, or perhaps just wandered off, backslidden, and gotten lost. Question is, are we aware do we even care? Are we only interested in the more useful ones, the greater ones? May we be reminded, don't look down on anyone. Look out for everyone. This teaching reminds us to always ask, who's missing? And we need to ask this because everyone is important to Jesus, but it's everyone important to us. Jesus took the initiative Will we do the same? Are we prepared to break that inertia? Jesus' intent is to rescue, to recover, and to rejoice. May we have that same intent and desire to bring these back into the kingdom community, to be with us once more. Don't look down on anyone. Look out for everyone. Is the Lord bringing someone to mind right now? maybe that's your next assignment, go for it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this simple, simple teaching that the Lord has given to us, and by no means easy to apply, but we understand it, we know it, but we confess, Lord, many times, often, we have been inward, that we have only been happy with the community that we are in, and we thank you for that. But Lord, will you stir within our heart, Lord, this desire, to look out for someone who needs to be brought back into this community. Grant us by your Holy Spirit the grace that can be extended to them in the same way that we have received grace from you. Because many of us were in that same position until you sent someone to bring us back. And so we thank you, Lord, and we bless everyone listening in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.